You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at bethanynaz.org. I was, I was with a guy for breakfast this past week, and he says to me, you know, my father uh, for many years worked in the Jimmy Swaggart organization. Now, some of you have no idea who that is, but about 30 to 40 years ago in that 10-year time frame, he was one of the more popular television preachers. I remember the day that it happened. He was the opening lead story with all the network news that night. And what they were reporting was that here's this man that stood up week after week and railed against sin. But yet he was living a very immoral life and nobody knew it. And one day it all hits the fan. And so when you think about what we're doing these last four weeks in the book of Matthew chapter 23, Jesus would label that as hypocrisy. The the word that we find in the New Testament in the original Greek language is hypocrites, which comes from Greek theater. And so when one person would play more than one role, they would simply have a mask that was attached to a stick. They would hold the mask in front of their face and they would hide their identity. They would hide behind the mask. And so the word really means actor or pretender, fake or phony. And so what we've done in this last month is we've looked at all the characteristics that Jesus has given us of a hypocrite. He says a hypocrite is somebody who does not practice what they preach. A hypocrite is somebody who does things only to be seen by others. A hypocrite lacks integrity. A hypocrite neglects the really important things like justice and like mercy. A hypocrite is greedy and self-indulgent. And today we add one more to the list. A hypocrite is a person who, who is quick to point at the sins of another person, but yet they have sin in their own life while they're pointing out somebody else's sin. So, you know, I don't know how you read, you know, Matthew 23 and, and not at some point, you know, just ask yourself the question or I ask myself the question, am I hypocritical at all? Is there hypocrisy inside of me? Do I practice what I preach? Every Sunday morning I get up and I just preach. You know, do you live that stuff, Rick? Am I a person of integrity? Do I do things to be seen by others? Is it a show? Am I greedy? Am I self-indulgent? Throughout the week, do I trip over people who are hurting and in need to get myself to worship on Sunday? Without even acknowledging the fact that that person is hurting. Do, do, do I get up and just point out the sins of everybody else? Father, sin in my own life. 
I, I don't know how you read it. I don't know how you look at it without asking yourself those kinds of questions. When, when I put my picture beside the Pharisees, is there any resemblance whatsoever? So let's, let's take off now at verse 29, okay? Matthew 23, 29. We'll start there, and this is where we left off last time, and we'll go to the end of the chapter, and this will conclude our, our series on hypocrisy. Here's what Jesus says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You, you build tombs for the prophets, and you decorate the graves of the righteous, And then you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you actually testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes. I mean, Jesus does a lot of name calling in this chapter. You brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berkiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. And then the compassionate words of Jesus, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often have I longed to gather your children together as hen, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God's word for us today. Um, I remember when we first moved to Cincinnati, this was 11 years ago, uh, some people invited us to dinner. And so when my youngest daughter, Morgan, was then in the second grade, realized that her sister Brittany had other plans and wasn't going with us, she asked if she could invite a friend. And so we said, sure. And so she brought a little friend named Maddie, um, who is still very close to our family today. Maddie, I think, is two years younger than Morgan. And so she was probably in kindergarten at the time. And so we go to this restaurant with this family um, called Famous Dave's. You ever No, We don't do that down in this part of the country. It's a barbecue place. And uh, so here's the way it was. There was this restaurant, and uh, we had never been to that restaurant before. But on top of it was this other restaurant, Famous Dave's. So there's kind of two restaurants in this. One sets on top of the other. They're not really connected or anything like that. So if you're going to go to this first restaurant, you just pull in and park in front of it. But if you're going to go to Famous Dave's, you park up on this side parking lot and you kind of go in the side, okay? So that's that's what it was like. But we had never been in that other restaurant, only Famous Dave's. So we went, we had dinner, it was great. We got home, we took Maddie home and all of that. And And later that week, Maddie is with her mother in their car and they stop at a stoplight in front of those two restaurants. Famous Dave's on top, this other restaurant on the bottom. I'd never been to the other restaurant. Did I mention that? (laughs) And so while they're sitting there in the car, Maddie, you know, kindergarten learning to spell says H O 
O-T-E-R-S. And then with excitement, she says, Mommy, that's where Pastor Rick took me. The reason we think that's funny, the reason I think it's funny, the reason you think it's funny is because you've already determined in your heart, in your mind, that that's a restaurant that Pastor Rick probably does not need to frequent, right? I mean, that's why you laugh at it. Otherwise, it would have been funny. And why have you determined in your mind that I probably shouldn't go there? And you would say, well, because... Pastor Rick, you stand up every Sunday and you preach and, and you preach it kind of close. I'll be honest with you. And, and you talk about holiness and you talk about not getting too close to the edge and building margins in our lives and all of those kinds of things. And if that was the restaurant that you hung out at all the time, no matter how good their food would be, we would say, you know, Pastor Rick kind of preaches this one thing, but he kind of does another. And that is the heart of what Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees in the passage of Scripture that I read to you from. He's saying, you know what? You're really quick to point out the fact that your your ancestors killed the prophets, but you're saying if we lived in that day, we would have never done it. But Jesus says, you're doing it. In fact, you're rejecting me. And so while you're really quick to point out everybody else's sins... You don't mention the sin in your own life. Okay, here we go. You got this? I carry a Bible with me. You carry a Bible a lot. And if you open your Bible to the very first book, what is it? Genesis. Okay. So, have you ever seen a Hebrew Bible? Because a Hebrew Bible, like our Bible, if you opened it, the very first book would be the book of Genesis. Okay? The last book of our Bible is what? Revelation. You're not real energetic today, but I'll take that. Okay. What is the last book of the Hebrew Bible? What? Second Chronicles is correct. So, you remember in the book of Genesis, there's a story about a guy whose name is Abel. Abel brings an offering to God. What does God say about his offering? He says, Abel's offering is pleasing. And so, as far as we know about Abel, he is considered righteous in the eyes of God. But you remember how the story unfolds. Abel's brother Cain kills him. It is the first record of a righteous man being slain in the scripture. Let's go to another story. Do you know about the prophet Zechariah? Zechariah stands up and he preaches. You know what he preaches about the nation of Israel? He says, you have forsaken God. You've blown it. You've messed up. You've turned your back on God. You've forsaken him. The king of Israel at the time was Josiah. And Josiah did not like what he was hearing. And so because he was king and had all power, he said, stone him. And so inside the temple courts, they stoned Zechariah. And Jesus is simply saying this, okay? When I look at the story in the book of God... From the very beginning to the very end, you have slain the righteous of God. This is your history. This is who you are. This is what you've done. I mean, from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, you have slain the righteous of God. 
So when you read this passage I read to you, you hear this conversation happening between Jesus and the Pharisees. Although they're not speaking, Jesus is speaking for them. And what you hear the Pharisees saying, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You don't understand, Jesus. If we had lived in those days with our ancestors, we would not have participated in slaying the prophets. We wouldn't have done what they did. And Jesus says, I will send you prophets and I will send you teachers and I will send you sages and you will kill them. You will crucify them. You will flog them in the synagogues and you will chase them from town to town. I kind of want to say, time out. Jesus. I mean, think about this. You're, you're accusing these people of something they haven't yet done. I mean, you're saying your ancestors killed people and now you're going to kill them. I mean, you're, you're kind of prophesying that they're going to, that they're going to kill some more prophets. They haven't killed them yet. Okay, think with me for a minute, okay? Here we go. Matthew writes these words. Matthew writes his gospel to who? Do you remember? Who did Matthew write his gospel thinking, these are the people that's going to read my gospel? Who is his audience? His audience, in his mind, were the Jewish people. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew that we've been reading from lately, he uses illustrations like this. He talks about phylacteries. What's a phylactery? We talked about it a few weeks ago. How did we know what a phylactery was? Because we did some research. Because in our society, in our culture, in our world, we don't have phylacteries. It was a leather cube attached to a headband, went around their head, and the cube rested on their forehead. Inside the cube were written scriptures folded up and put in the leather cube. But when Jesus talks, when Luke, rather Matthew, let me get it straight, talks about the phylacteries, he doesn't give any explanation. You know why? Because he assumes the people who are going to read his gospel are Jews. And so here's what he does when he writes his gospel. He says, I want to present to you Jesus as God's anointed one. I want to present to you Jesus as the son of God. I want to present to you Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ. Think with me. And now Matthew recites the words of Jesus. Your ancestors killed the prophets and you will kill the ones to come because even now you are rejecting me one sent from God. I was in a, um, in a meeting a couple of years ago, serving on a committee, sitting in an office with a man who was credentialed as a minister, but life got off track. And, and so we're having this meeting with him, and honestly, it was in our hearts to try to help him. 
Get back on track. But in his mind, he wanted to talk about spin. And how this is presented. And I remember this one pastor who was sitting beside me with a broken heart and a heart full of compassion and a heart full of love. He kind of interrupts. And when he says this, it changes the atmosphere of the meeting from the rest of the meeting on. And he simply looks at that brother and he says to him, can I just remind you that what has taken place has eternal consequences for your soul. I'm really concerned about your soul. And everything got quiet. And you begin to feel the weight And the consequences of what he had done. And so Jesus says. It's coming down on you. I mean all of this is coming down on your generation. The the righteous blood from Abel to Zechariah. It's coming down on you. I'm talking about judgment is here. And then he says at the end of the passage I read to you that one day you will be desolate. And you remember just a few years later, Jerusalem lies in ruins. And in verse 33, he says, how, how can you escape being condemned to hell? Don't you get it? Don't, don't you understand what's happening? You're walking around and you're, you're easily pointing back at the sins of your ancestors. You have no trouble seeing their sin, but you don't see your own. Or at least you don't admit your own. In, in the book of Matthew earlier on in chapter 7, Jesus gives an illustration of this very thing. Let me put the words on the screen for you, okay? It's Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 3. And going through verse 5. So here, here are the words. Jesus says, why, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And, and you pay no attention to the plank? I, I think Jesus was being somewhat humorous, don't you? In your own eye? How, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You... You hypocrite. Now, that's a familiar word. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In, in my mind, Jesus was being funny. It would be like me saying, hey, Kyle, man, you got something in your eye. Let me, let me help you with that. I just think it's funny. You, you ever, you ever in your life remember blowing the whistle or waving the flag? We got sin over here. Sin's happening right over here, right over here in the corner. We got sin going on right now, right over there. Come on, everybody look over there at sin. Just making you aware, sin over here. And 
And in that very moment, there was sin in your own life. And Jesus says, hypocrisy. Strong words. I, I, I think the heart and the soul of this section of Scripture is, is this. Jesus is saying, you, you're not hearing God. You know, God's trying to get your attention and you're not hearing him. God's trying to speak to you and you're not hearing him. God is trying to get you to listen and you're not, you don't want anything to do with it. He keeps sending messengers and you keep killing them. Don't shoot the messenger. Once in a while, my wife Annette will, will finally get a hold of me and say, Rick, Did you not see I tried to call? Did you not see my text? I've been trying to get a message to you all morning. Oh, baby, I I saw where you, I missed your call, but I didn't, I didn't think you left a message. I didn't, I didn't see that you left a text. And I think that's the heart of God. I've been trying to reach you. I've been trying to get a message to you. I've been trying to get your attention. There's something I've wanted to say to you. But every time I send a messenger, you shoot him. And, and, and yet in the midst of all of that, look at the heart of Jesus, this big heart of Jesus. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I wanted to gather you under my wings like a hen would gather her chicks, but you would not, you weren't willing. I think you learn some things about God in this. I think the first thing you learn about God is that God does not force his way into anybody's heart or life. God doesn't come up and kick the door of your heart open and says, I'm coming in. God never waltzes into your life and says, scoot over, I'm going to drive. God never shows up and says, I'll be in charge from now on. I won't need your assistance. Thank you anyway. You have to be willing. It's only when I'm willing to say, God, you take control. I really mean it. I want you to be Lord. I've had the controls and I haven't done so great. If I handed the controls to you, would you take them? That would be huge. That's the only way. I I think the other thing that you learn about God in that verse is that God's love endures. I think this is a better word. I think God's love is relentless. God sends prophets and you kill the prophet. He sends another prophet and you kill the prophet. He sends another prophet and you kill the prophet. He sends another prophet and you kill the prophet. And finally God says, what if, what if? What if I sent my son? Just maybe if I send my son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only 
son. His love is relentless. But they don't practice what they preach. They do things to be seen by others, and they're not people of integrity. And they're not concerned about the important things like justice and mercy. And they're quick to point out the sins of others, and they ignore their own. And yet God sends His Son. And He says, we can't leave them like that. We've got to change them. We have to save them from that. So so I'm, I'm almost done here, but I want you just to kind of put your brain in motion for a minute with me. Think with me about what we're really doing, okay? Because I think what we're really doing is we are, we are evaluating the Pharisees. Don't you think that's what we're doing? We're, we're kind of judging their life. I think that's what history does. History judges people. And so we're judging the Pharisees and what they did with Jesus. And we're going, uh, we're going to have to give you guys an F. You didn't, you didn't do well at all. It only makes me realize that one day history will judge me. One day in a room like this, there'll be a casket and it will be open and I'll be laying in it. What's left of me? And people will file by. And I will be judged. So what did he do with Jesus? I'll remind you one more time in this series that that is not what is of the utmost importance. What is of the utmost importance is what Jesus will say. And here's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. You do not practice what you preach. You are not people of integrity. You do things to be seen by men. You do not care about justice and mercy. You are greedy and you are self-indulgent. And you're quick to point out everybody else's sins, but you ignore your own. And so here's where I land on this thing. I mean, here's where my life comes down. It comes down to this. One day, I must hear Jesus say to me, Rick, you got up every Sunday and you railed and you preached. But I saw you strive hard to practice what you preached. I have to hear Jesus say those words. And I have to hear him say, you were not there for the show. It wasn't a show for you. I have to hear him say, Rick, you tried hard to maintain your integrity. And you cared about justice and mercy. I have to hear Jesus say to me, you were not greedy. And you did not point at the sins of everybody else and ignore you. I have to hear Jesus say that one day. You understand? And the only way that that's going to ever happen is if I experience enough of his grace and his kindness and his help and his goodness in this journey along the way, because without him, I'm hopeless. You know me. You know what I'm capable of. 
And so it's for grace, I pray. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.